You're listening to Frontlines, a podcast for the people that truly make mountain biking happen. Not the riders, racers, or product designers, but the builders, advocates, and the often forgotten board members of your local mountain bike trail association. Before uh, I begin this episode, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for uh, listening and, and staying subscribed and, and, uh, and being here for, uh, hopefully a, a number of, uh, additional episodes to this podcast. Um, absolutely, uh, can't go without thanking, uh, those of you who have made donations to support the show. Um, that has allowed me to do something that, uh, is really important, which is, um, uh, kind of focus on other things, and not have to worry about making the decision of whether or not I take this uh, podcast just off of the internet. Um, just to keep it there costs money. And, uh, and so your support has been critical to that. And in addition, your support as a community has kept uh, episodes going and hopefully we'll continue to keep more episodes going in the future. And that's why I thought a, a good way to kind of get back into the flow of, of re- of producing more episodes is, um, is bringing Dave Turnier onto the show. Um, we had a great conversation, uh, a year or two ago and, um, and he got into the podcast kind of through the pandemic when I wasn't releasing episodes and he started to, to listen from episode one and we kind of developed a, a great relationship and we would text kind of back and forth. And, and, uh, he kind of helped me in a way, re-listen to these past episodes and, and see the value in them. And, um, so uh, I, I owe a lot to him to kind of, to why this project continues. And, uh, and so having him on the show, I thought, uh, and, and I should say, we both thought would be a great way for me to kind of get back into the rhythm. We, we both discussed this and, and, uh, uh, felt like this is a, this would be a great episode and, and, uh, I'm really happy with it. Um, before I kind of, uh, get to the, the, the conversation, I do just want to give you a little bit of an update of, of where I'm at. Um, went back to school, uh, finished a bunch of courses. So I'm happy to, to report I've, I've got my association of Canadian mountain guides hiking certification. Um, and, uh, I'm also an operations level two with the Canadian avalanche association working towards some higher membership categories, but that's where I'm at right now. Just about to launch into my winter and teaching avalanche courses. Um, but I also am, am trying to focus a little bit more on the podcast and, and release a couple of episodes over the winter as well, uh, as uh, producing more content over on my YouTube channel, um, which is Brent ski bike ski. Sorry for, for the shameless plug there. Um, but, uh, over on that channel, um, is, is all of the content that I create for part of my courses that I teach my hiking, backpacking, survival, navigation, and, and right now focused on avalanche courses. So if that's something that might be of interest to you, have a, a look at that channel and, and, uh, give it a subscribe. I, I would appreciate that as well. Um, and then, uh, uh, just personally, lots of, uh, uh, lots of trips, probably not as many as I, I really wanted, uh, over the summer, but got out with the family a bunch and, and got out with my son Emerson and, um, and it was wonderful. And in fact, I had a chance to go for a bike ride with Dave and that was really exciting. He had a chance to kind of tag along and, and do a ride with, um, with Emerson and I, uh, which, uh, I find very entertaining. And I know, uh, other people have been entertained by riding behind, uh, the talkative child that is my, my son. Um, and so it was great to just kind of, uh, finally meet Dave and, and, uh, I, I have to say, you know, it's, um, it's a great friendship and, and, uh, 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 Dave, you've kind of been, uh, just, a, a great person to kind of just keep me chugging along here in what probably was, was a moment in which uh, I don't know if the podcast would really be here if it wasn't for kind of the feedback that you've given me and, and the conversations we've had and just helps me re- remember why I did this and why I started the podcast. And so happy to be back and uh, excited at the the possibility of, of some new episodes. I do want to say um, if uh if you have any ideas for future episodes or you yourself want to get into a conversation, just send me an email at info at frontlinesmtb.com. Uh, it would be great. But uh, without further ado, I'm your host, Brent Hillier, and this is episode 88 of Frontlines. Lines. 
I'm joined by Dave Turnier once again. Uh, he joined me back in April of, of 2022 and uh, just excited to have him back on the show. Hi, Dave. Welcome back. Hey, Brent. It's uh, great to reconnect with you on this uh, wonderful platform. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's good to be back and, and recording. So lots has changed in, in both of our lives since we last spoke. And, and, uh, and so that's kind of what I, I want to focus on today is, uh, is just a little bit about uh, what we're working on and, and uh, potentially our kind of journeys uh, uh, to those different spots. Maybe to, to begin, let's start out with uh, just letting us know what uh, Single Track Communications is all about, your new project. Sure. What is single track communications? Gosh, I, I think what it is now is probably different from what I hope for it to become. But, uh, but in brief, um, it is my uh, attempt to see if I can make a go of a life full time in trail advocacy. Uh, you know, when we spoke, uh, you know, earlier, uh, the previous time I mentioned, you know, the Valley Life Recreation and the project I was involved with, they're building a trail park. And honestly, in the time, you know, since that conversation that you and I had in this conversation, you know, our, our fundraising success has continued along, I, I think, what, what a lot of people call a pretty remarkable trajectory. And and I know some people have said, in fact, just recently last week to me, holy God, Dave, you know, raising, you know, $670,000 in 28 months or whatever we did must have been a ton of work. And I And I said to them, I mean... Yes, no. I mean, it was fun for me. So I guess I don't, I didn't, I don't look at it that way. So, you know, single track communications is, is kind of my attempt to go, hmm, maybe more organizations, particularly those organizations who haven't made that leap to staff. Um, you know, maybe those, those organizations who just can't quite do that leap. You know, maybe more people out there would like help with fundraising if they could, you know, lift that from the shoulders of their volunteers. So that's uh, that's one angle to single track communications and probably the one that people are most curious about. I mean, I'm also writing articles there every week to to help trail organizations with the load that comes with running trail organizations. But, uh, you know, we can dive into a few of those things. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I think it's uh, unfortunate um uh, that uh so much of our life is is consumed by by funding and finances um you know it's the it really is the thing that that kind of uh, uh really can can put speed bumps in the in the way of things you know i i think to just my personal life right now and and uh, with with the cost of living going up and all that kind of stuff and and so i i you know i I really see this from a, a bunch of different perspectives as somebody that uh, that works for a trail organization, that's somebody who used to be a part of a, a trail organization from the, the board level. Um, funding is is always a, a challenge. And, and we've seen through the last few years, a lot of organizations kind of lose maybe some of the ways that they used to earn funding, uh, maybe find some new ways to kind of tap into that. Um, but at the end of the day, the day that getting staff and having that has always been such a powerful way of being able to really start to to get consistent funding coming in. So with organizations, what are you kind of doing when you uh, start working with them? Well, you know, to be clear, this is a, a new endeavor. So, um, you know, I'm kind of figuring this out as we go. My primary objective right now is to, you know, find a couple of organizations who are kind of willing to, uh, to walk this road with me, I suppose, because one of the things that, you know, I do make very clear uh, to anybody I speak with about this is, you know, to this point, I've helped raise a pile of money for an organization I was a part of, but I now need to prove the concept that revolves around can I effectively do that for an organization that I am not actively involved in and for an organization in a community that I don't live in? I believe the answer to be yes, but that needs yet to be proven because I like to be really honest with not only the people I speak with, but also with myself. So, you know, at this point, uh, I think it's going to uh, function uh, through a discovery process where, you know, somebody reaches out and says, okay, Dave, really interested in what you have to talk about. Um, you know, let, let's connect with you, uh, give you an opportunity to learn about 
our organization and the project that we need funding for. And then my approach is going to be learning as much about that project as I can uh, so as to pull the story from it. Uh, you know, funding is really, really hinges on effective storytelling, I believe. Um, people can, you know, feel free to discuss this with me and maybe oppose me a, a, a little bit. But, but so much of funding has to do with um, obviously identifying where the funding is that, that goes without saying, but, but after that point, so much of funding has to do with, do you have an effective story? Do you have a narrative that connects with that funder in a way that has them go, Oh, well, Brent, if you say it like that, of course, we'll give you $50,000. This sounds wonderful. And it's, it's that communication. Uh, it's, it's, sorry, it's, it's discovering what that story is and then finding a way to, uh, communicate that story to potential funders, or maybe it's through a, a, a fundraising campaign. Maybe it's through grant writing. Maybe it's through, you know, engaging trail users to donate, whatever that case might be. Fundraising has always been something that's been fun for me. Uh, we'll see if it becomes less fun if I make it my living, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the approach to this point. Um, but like, like I said, to be transparent, uh, I need a few groups to try this out with. So, you know, think of me as a, you know, not quite free volunteer, but somebody who's going to, you know, spend a, a, at least half my time volunteering with a couple of groups to see if I can help them achieve some of their financial goals. I mean, obviously it's going to be different depending on what those financial goals are. If it's just, uh, if it's just operational money, that's a very different conversation than maybe the, the attractive nature of a brand new project, right? You know, a brand new project uh, it carries with a, diff a different story when it comes to approaching funders, whereas ongoing funding, of course, is is another story entirely as well. So, does that kind of does that make sense? Is that? Yeah, absolutely. I've always enjoyed your take on on storytelling um, with that. And I know we, we spoke in the previous episode about your, your kind of past career of, of, uh, of working with weddings and kind of telling the story of a, of a, of a couple. And, um, what I, what I love is kind of looking at this and, and how you use that skill set to tap into communities and to understand what their story is. And then, and then taking that story and looking where there's opportunities for somebody to get involved from a, from a funding perspective. Uh, I think it really, it breaks down the, 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 the concept of maybe that we're looking for a handout or we're looking for just a simple donation. And then that's kind of it. There is a relationship there and, and there's, there's a reason why an organization might want to support or a company or somebody might want to support uh, a trail organization. And, and I've always enjoyed kind of your perspective on that. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I'll give a small example if I can here, you know, with the, with the trail park that I, you know, that I spoke of earlier that I was recently involved and, and I'm still today, I should mention, you know, uh, I'm the chairperson of the board. So in a volunteer, in a volunteer capacity, I still lead that group, but, you know, just one example of how, you know, we created an effective story was, you know, in our sponsorship package for that trail park, for example, you know, it was a, it was a full color. Oh, what was it? Four five, six page document that I created that spoke about the project, why the project was important uh, and all of these things. But then it also included two quotes, one quote from our trail designer and his, the quote that we used specifically spoke about just his vision for the area in particular, so as to help people understand that this isn't just, you know, one small thing that's fun to do. Somebody from outside of the community really saw this in a broader context. And then the other quote was from one of our early funders who helped us out, who helped us get the conceptual design photos going. So that way we could then announce the product publicly. And it might sound simple, but having two quotes like that in our sponsorship package, not only did the sponsorship package look professional, nicely designed and laid out, and I'm not trying to give myself a pat on the back, but it was more than just a Word doc with five different sponsorship options laid out on it. Not only did it carry that polished look that said, this is a trail organization who really has their stuff pulled together, 
because look at how they presented this information, but it also carried the voices of a few other people who also believed in our project. And I mean, that's just one small example of communicating an effective story and a story that maybe stands out relative to all the other funding requests that, you know, the many uh, potential donors that we approach with this document, you know, have to field on a daily or weekly basis. And, uh, you know, I, I firmly believe it's one of the things that help us stand out and had, you know, look, local mom and pop restaurants and coffee shops all writing thousand dollar checks to us. I mean, I, you know, this is a small 2,400 person town. And I think, oh, what was it? 25, 26 small businesses of the scale I just mentioned all stepped up with thousand dollar sponsorships for this trail park project, which still kind of blows my mind, but they obviously understood our story. Maybe not in exactly the same way we did, but to enough of an extent that they said, we believe in this for our community here. We want to help. Yeah. Very cool. I think it's your most recent article, um, but it talks about uh, why you might want a, a yearbook. And uh, I think even just the, uh, the image right away, I think I, I fully understand um, what it is you're getting at here, but, but obviously listeners can't, can't see it. So what do you mean by a yearbook? What, what is that? Yeah. So um, <clears throat> I, it's funny, you, you and I have not talked about this, but uh, I do have, no. you, I do have you to thank in some respect for that article because uh, you interviewed uh, you had uh, Paul Perot from Bike Cochrane on this podcast some time ago. Yeah. And after that podcast, I reached out to Paul and Paul and I have since uh, formed a great relationship and I love the work they're doing in, in Cochrane. And uh, he just, I don't even remember how it came up, but he mentioned this yearbook that they had done. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? So why you want, might want a yearbook? And I, and I love that you've brought this up because this is a really powerful way of storytelling and a huge kudos to Bike Cochran for pulling this off. But yeah, they, they have created a couple of annual yearbooks now that basically are full of photos and a summary of what their organization was up to over, you know, uh, the year ending. And they provide that yearbook to their major sponsors. And um, I don't believe it. If they, I'm not sure if they do this on an annual basis, but I know uh, earlier uh, this spring, they uh, also presented copies of that yearbook to every member of council uh, within the city of Cochrane. And I just, I love so much about how that yearbook effectively communicates the story of Bike Cochrane. Um, it not only shares with their funders and with key stakeholders that they are fulfilling their commitment uh, of you know of what they what they had promised that obviously got them the funding, but it also really creates a beautiful feedback loop where that organize that funder then gets to appreciate the work and you know in one of the examples I share in the article. Uh, you know, Paul happened to be, happened to be, uh, out for an appointment and he saw the yearbook sitting on the, the coffee table in the waiting room. <laughs> and he was just, he was, he was really warmed by that because here was that sponsor, here was that funder proudly displaying that in their waiting room so that not only could other people, you know, maybe appreciate the community mindset of the, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, the office that they were sitting in, but what an interesting way to then have bike Cochran's story, get out to other potential funders who may have just showed up for an appointment, start flipping through the book, just waiting and go, look at how this organization, uh, expresses its gratitude to those who fund the work that they're doing for this community. I want to get involved. And I mean, just think for a minute about all the storytelling that just took place there all on its own. I mean, that to me is really powerful. I know this has been discussed on the the podcast in the in the past, but when it comes to you know grant funding, we sometimes think about that initial application and then you know receiving the money and and we're not always that great at at the follow up of actually showing these people what did they spend all that money on. <laughs> 
this does a great job of that. So I, I really like it. Yeah, it, it, it does such a great job. And I like I would encourage just, you know, there I've in the article I've written at singletrackcoms.com, people can see the article and they can see a sample photos of the inside of that yearbook just to get a really a firsthand look at what it is that they've done. And you know what? For the cost of, you know, 25 to 50 bucks a book, you know, you get 20 books done. I mean, that's money well spent. And and I must say, with the organization that I lead, we have not done this yet. Uh, but uh it's such a it's such a great model for uh for communicating uh the story of what this organization is all about and and will no doubt serve a, as a as a strong a motivator to to allow it to maintain the support it has enjoyed to this point. Yeah. Well, and there's there's so many resources out there now to kind of create these things as well. You know, I think of all the the great online scrapbooking tools and 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 so it's it's not hard to make this stuff anymore. It, it can really be done easily. Yeah, I mean, you know, for this example, right, you just need to collect photos of what happens throughout the year and uh and, you know, may, I mean, maybe you won't provide this to all of your sponsors, but maybe this will be something that, you know, you give to all of your funders above X number of dollars or something like that. Um, you know, maybe you, maybe you auction a few. Of the, I, I don't know. There's just all kinds of things you could, you can do with it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What else have you kind of been focused on um, with, uh, with this project and, and other projects? One of the things that I've really enjoyed doing over the last couple of years has been connecting with people uh, from all over the trails community, whether they're involved in, in, in trail funding, whether they're involved in running a trail organization, whether they're, uh, you know, a, a hand tool manufacturer. And uh, I know that my personality lends itself well to randomly emailing, randomly contacting people. But I, I recognize that's not everybody's skill set, and there's there's just I don't know if this is an appropriate word to use. You you tell me if it is, but I I, I found that so many trail organizations are working in their in their own silo almost. You know, um, the the networking and connection between trail organizations could be stronger, I think. And so, you know, another one of my hopes is that. You know, I can create a bit of a, a bit of a hub for that, um, you know, particularly here in Canada. Uh, I think maybe, you know, I think maybe there are, there's, there would be stronger hubs in, in the U.S. and other places, but particularly here in Canada, um, just creating a hub for information and for trail organizations to connect with each other. I, I have some ideas down the road about, you know, maybe hosting monthly or quarterly calls with people who lead trail organizations just to get together and exchange ideas and meet one another and, you know, hopefully those new relationships spark, uh, you know, relationships that can help trail leaders through the burdens that will inevitably, you know, land on their plate, uh, situations they have to figure out. So, uh, I guess I'll even put it out there and say, if people are interested in, in, in that type of quarterly call or something like that, I mean, community is what I really hope this becomes a, community i hope becomes a really strong part of this project as well yeah it's i mean it's really one of the main reasons why i i created the podcast was a i just assumed it would exist already and so went on to you know went on to my my podcatcher and went to go look for that podcast that had to have been out there there's all sorts of sub uh, you know, obscure podcasts out there and, and it didn't exist. And, you know, it, it was kind of a, a bit of a silo I was sitting in and, and wanting to kind of uh, communicate with other people and, and recognizing that there's, there's a lot of different people doing kind of similar tasks. Every community is different and every trail is a bit different. That's what makes this so much fun. But, but a lot of it is similar. We're, we're kind of running into some of the same problems and, or a lot of the same problems. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, even just simple mundane things like, um, you know, with our project, we, uh, it's all on town owned land, uh, and a sliver of crown land. And then at the far West end, it's on private land. And so we had to come up with a sign, you know, we had to come up with a landowner use agreement with that landowner who, you know, was very enthusiastic to, to let us use their land. But so where do you go for that type of agreement? Right. I mean, that sounds simple, but I happen to know another trail organization who had also done similar things. So 
you know, thankfully they supplied me with that agreement, but, you know, even just, and hopefully I'm not overpromising uh, things that I'm not able to deliver, but even just creating a bit of a repository of here are template documents that trail organizations should have access to, you know, these are, you know, just, just materials like that. Um, and then sharing best practices and I, and I should, you know, recognize and give credit where credit is due, you know, uh, the community you have created through Frontlines MTB has really been remarkable. And I mean, I know the, the Facebook group that you've got running has been, you know, a place where I've connected with people as well. So yeah, I think just, just building on the work that's already been done and see if I can, uh, you know, help augment it in, in some, in some uh, other angle. <laughs> How is, uh, I, this is, you know, for me, my eternal topic of discussion that I, 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 uh, uh maybe I'll master it. Maybe I'll, I'll have to stop talking about, it, but work-life balance. How is work-life balance right now? I think that's a, a critical one, especially whenever we look at career changes, especially when we look at kind of our own small businesses, there's there, it can be a lot of work. So how is that for you right now? Ah, oh, that is <laughs> best summed up by saying, thank God my wife is patient with me. <laughs> I, uh, I'm spending just so much time on my volunteer commitments, uh, and and that you know I I won't uh, I won't hide the fact that that's a struggle. Um, you know my my work with Valley Life Recreation uh, does demand a lot of me, in part because I really want to deliver. Um, I'm also in, I'm also on the provincial board of Trails Manitoba, so that takes up a little bit of time as well. Um, but uh, you know I think. By and large, I'm striking a decent work-life balance. Um, it's uh, it's just you know trying to allocate the appropriate hours to build something that will sustain me in this volunteer advocacy world, and making sure that enough time is being put into that to see it come to fruition. Uh, because you know if that. You know, if if this just doesn't work out for some reason, then it's a matter of you know uh, going uh, going elsewhere to you know uh, help the family make ends meet. But uh, I, uh, I I think so far it's going okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> I wonder, you know, if organizations are are struggling right now to find volunteers. I mean, I know we've always kind of struggled to find volunteers. Um, but if, if that's changed at all now, I, I just recently, the last kind of board meeting that I can, that I kind of had, um, that comes to mind is my strata council for, for the building where I live in. And, and even in that, you know, we had the, the three usual suspects put up their hand to be, you know, reelected on the, the, the board. And we wanted, we wanted some extra people on there. We didn't want just three and, and um, we also knew that there might be some people that, that would want to join, but weren't represented at the meeting. And so the, probably the lowest barrier I've ever seen to helping with a volunteer, uh, group was, can somebody just say they're going to be a part of the board and then you can resign so that we have a free spot available to add somebody before the next AGM. So we're not stuck with a representation of just three in in the building and and that was too much for for people it was uh it was unfortunate and, and you know the lead up to that meeting of course we had some problems with our boiler and issues with this and issues with that and people are angry but they're not quite willing to get involved and it it's challenging but i also completely understand the time commitment that comes from it you know i've had to step back a lot of of different volunteer efforts that i've had because i just don't have the time like i used to well, and, and I think you touched on it earlier as well. I mean, cost of living is shooting through the roof and, you know, people have to really carefully allocate where their time is going. And, and I hope that, and I, and I, and, and I don't mean for this to come off as opportunistic, but, you know, I hope that, you know, my putting myself out there and saying, look, I'd like to help organizations out because it'll help sustain my uh, advocacy work that I hope to do for a very long time. Um, but it'll also, you know, relieve a little bit of that volunteer vacuum 
maybe, if that's a term we can make up on the spot and use. Um, because I think the I think particularly in the trails world, as the trails world continues to professionalize more and more, I mean, I, I had a conversation at a, at a at an AGM I was a part of last night for an adventure race, and you know, one of the individuals was blown away that professional trail building companies exist because they just didn't know. Um, so I think as, as the world of trails professionalizes more and more, um, as you have touched on in previous episodes of the, of the podcast, uh, there's a real magic that happens when a trail organization makes that leap from being entirely volunteer run to having paid staff. And, uh, and I hope that maybe by having somebody like me, who's willing to, do just a few hours work here, a few hours work there that enables those organizations who just can't make that leap, but it enables them to, you know, continue to thrive with maybe a, a little bit less volunteer commitment than they had before, because maybe they're struggling to find that much like the example you just provided. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the world of volunteers is, is certainly, uh, is certainly shifting, but you know, I guess to bring it back around to the very beginning again, that also has to do with the story an organization is telling, right? Um, is is the organization uh, really fun to get involved with? Uh, are there unrealistic expectations put on those board members? Why should people become board members? Um, you know, that's another story that I think every organization should ask itself. And if they aren't maybe super impressed with the answers, they've kind of got to figure out, okay, well, how can we position ourselves so that we can honestly answer with something that makes us more exciting and then maybe attracts people? Lots of stories to be told. The story of this podcast, for example. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm excited to, to get to that kind of benchmark of a, of a hundred episodes. Um, you know, I'm, it's not, uh, it's not terribly far away, but you know, one of the things that I, I think, um, has been a challenge for me to kind of get back into the rhythm of, of building out episodes is even just for me where my interests have, have kind of started to, to, to lie. I think I like the focus of this podcast, um, being on mountain biking because it was kind of an underserved community in the sense to having something like this. You know, there's, there's so many different mountain bike podcasts out there, but nobody was really talking about this aspect uh, of mountain biking and, and the few podcasts or, or forums that were about trail building were always kind of more focused on the actual trail building and not all the stuff that happens behind the scenes to trail building. But for me, a, a big focus is, is on the transportation side of things and which is very much related to, to biking and, and cycling. And, and, and so that's kind of where a lot of my interest has started to kind of been focused. And, and what I find inspiring is the, the kind of the Venn diagram that exists there of, of active transportation within a, within a community and uh, bike park facilities or bike playgrounds for kids and, and how these two things complement each other so well. And so that's what I've kind of really become passionate about. But, and then, and then on top of that, just I've, I, for my professional work, I, I work in a lot of places where mountain bikes just aren't allowed. And, and I'm, I'm happy for that. I like these spaces as well, but uh, uh, some of my advocacy work recently has been focused on that stuff. You know, these provincial parks that have, um, I, I hate to use the term overcrowding cause it's just poor management. Um, they're mostly just overcrowded in the parking lots and, and in the campgrounds. There's, there's plenty of, of hectares of space to spread these people out, but um, it's these, uh, these funnel points that, that tend to do it. And so this is where a lot of kind of my, my volunteerism and, and my time is, is going to these days. But, you know, so I wonder, is this something for the podcast or is this something new? Is this a, is this a new project that I need to take on or, or is it something that can be related to this, this podcast? Well, I mean, a couple of thoughts there. First of all, I'd love to just underline something you just mentioned a moment ago and that being, you know, the topic of active transportation and the recreation side of this really do go hand in hand. And, you know, I've been a part of a few conversations over the past year uh, locally here where, I was quite surprised at how people didn't assume that. I thought that was somewhat obvious. You know, if you get, you know, if you get kids uh, involved in their bikes, playing and recreating on their bikes early, 
it becomes a tool they use for life, which when they need to transport themselves somewhere, they are probably more apt to actively transport themselves to that location. So I'm really glad you said that because I strongly do believe they go hand in hand, whether it's, you know, whether it's a, a bike park for kids in a city or whether it's some, some single track through, through a forest in a city. I, I think that it leads into the active transportation conversation very well. So I, I do not believe those are mutually exclusive at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, you know, as for, as for the future of, of all of this, of course, you know, people might notice if they start digging through the first half dozen or so articles that I've published, uh, you know, at single track comms that it's, I think it's pretty obvious, well, not always, that how I see trails is through the lens of mountain biking, because that is who I am first and foremost when it comes to how I use a trail. But you know, the, the, this entity, the single track communications was also named in such a manner that it wasn't specific to mountain biking. The, I guess the idea of single track maybe implies that, but there's another audience of people out there who understand what single track is, be they trail runners yeah. or who, whatever. And, uh, yeah, I certainly, I want to be a voice for that, that combining of ideas that, regardless of who drove the project or, you know, conceptualized and, and brought it to life, these are spaces where multi-use is by and large really doable. I'm not going to say it's possible everywhere, of course, because it depends so much on a variety of circumstances, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, the questions you're asking yourself, I don't think are, are out of place at all. Uh, you know, Frontlines MTV started with that singular focus. And I think that led to, you know, uh, reaching the incredible audience that, that you did, but it, that doesn't necessarily mean that's the way forward. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, we see this with, with professional trail building companies where we are, uh, mountain bikers kind of make up the bulk of that community and, and it it does seem like mountain bikers make up the the bulk of of the community when it comes to advocating for you know soft surface trails and and single track but we're we're not the bulk of the users out there and so it is an interesting one where you know are we taking on maybe even the lion's share of the the work to maintain and advocate for these trails and and are we still struggling to kind of tap into those other communities to help us advocate a little bit. Well, I, uh, so this is very serendipitous that our conversation went to this point, but, um, I'll be having a conversation later today that will fine tune, uh, a couple of details that will go into the next article I'm publishing. And this article is about the Manitoba Association of Trail Runners and the absolutely brilliant points system that they have developed that ends every season with a series of awards that get awarded to the members from the organization who earn the most points. And they have points for attending trail running events and so on and so forth. But the, the, uh, the two biggest areas where you can earn points, uh, one has to do with obviously the act of trail running, but the other has to do with showing up the trail maintenance days. So they have built this entire point system where trail maintenance is weighted extremely heavy on the points you can earn so that you essentially can't win their ultimate points program at the end of the year if you didn't also get out and maintain the trail that you went and recreated on that you went and and ran on and i just uh yeah i'm really looking forward to highlighting what it is that they've built maybe people will tell me that somebody else is already doing this uh they are unaware of anybody that is because they Again, they looked to see what solutions were already out there because they wanted to be an active part of maintaining the areas that they run on. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, trails are becoming a more multi user conversation than ever before. And I think that's something we should embrace. More voices, more voices. <laughs> the room can get a little bit louder, but you know, <laughs> yeah. More perspectives are often pretty valuable. So, so I, you know, I think to to kind of maybe bring it bring it home on this, I, I, you know, I would I would love to see more voices added, maybe to this space that you've created. Um, you know, not necessarily mountain bike voices, but 
you know, trail runner voices or interesting people doing interesting things when it comes to trails, uh, because, you know, we are, yeah. And when I say we, mountain bikers are certainly a large voice, but as you mentioned, they're not the only voice. Yeah, absolutely. And I would be curious to see what type of support the podcast, you know, may get from a wide variety of sources. I think, uh, yeah, it's an, it's, it's, uh, I'm excited for, for where this might go. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice to kind of uh, just get back into the the flow of things. And I find, you know, even just a great example right here, one, one conversation and, and it just kicks off a bunch of different tangents and, and things that I, I, uh, I would love to, to tackle in, in more depth on, on future episodes. So it's, uh, it's great. I, I'm, I have to say, I've just going through your articles and reading some of them and skimming others. It's, I find it very inspiring and I like that, you know, they're, they're very short. I, I always enjoy that you've added the little reading time there for all of them, which is great. So, cause we are busy as advocates and, and, you know, we're, we're advocates and we're parents and we're partners and we're all sorts of things. And so, you know, it's hard to, to set aside some time, this valuable learning time or reading time that I think is important for all of us to, to, to take on. Um, and so I like that these are, are kind of bite sized. How often do you release these articles? Uh, so the the schedule now should be a minimum of one per week. Nice, yeah, That's awesome. So um, you know, if people want to get a reminder about when an article comes out, they can just uh, you know they can subscribe for free via email, and uh, they'll get an email when new articles come out. Yeah, no, I appreciate the kudos. It's it's funny you reference the reading time that I've loaded into there because I know that's one of the things that uh, really urges me to read an article. If I see that at the top, I'm like, oh. This is only three minutes or four minutes. Okay, then I'll do this, right? But <laughs> it's uh, time. Yeah, time as as has been maybe an underlying theme to this whole conversation we've had. Time is such a valuable asset, and it is one that I that I do put a high degree of value on, uh, and not just my time, but the time of everybody. So, you know, I, I I want people to know that you know if they're gonna if they're gonna jump into this, they should have an expectation that. You know, okay, yeah, I can read that. That's only three minutes. Easy. Let's do it. I mean, if if I can be so bold, uh, you know, do you have any thoughts on where this podcast might go in the future? Any any direct, you know, any conversations or any ask you want to make of the audience to to contribute to that that uh, thought process? <laughs> uh, I think um, I'm getting to the point now in in my. Um, my advocacy work is, is very focused on a few things. And, um, and, you know, previous to, to this, I, I worked for trail forks for a number of years. And so I had this opportunity to see uh, a wide variety of, of communities, um, sometimes quite literally being able to visit them, but, but just virtually as well and talk to a wide variety of people. And I don't get that as much anymore. And so for me, I think the biggest thing that that I would like help with is is hearing from people. And uh and I think I'm at this point now where I I used to be a lot better at knowing who I needed to talk to to get to get a good story, a great lesson, to get great inspiration, um to create a, a wonderful episode of the podcast and and right now I I I don't really know where to look as as much and I don't have as much time as well to kind of hunt those, those, um, for lack of a better term, stories down. Um, and so that's something where I'm always open for people just wanting to jump on and, and have a, a conversation. You know, I don't, I, I think with a lot of podcasting, we, it's, it's viewed as like journalism and that's the like furthest thing from what I am. <laughs> and <laughs> all sorts of it. I, I just want to, I just want to give people this kind of platform to be able to share their stories, to share their lessons, to, to share their struggles and, and to even for themselves, be able to kind of connect and get some feedback and, and that type of thing. So I'm open to anybody wanting to kind of jump on here. Um, and, and I think too, you know, there's so many lessons from other organizations and other disciplines and, um, you know, two, two big aspects of my life in the last couple of years, one has been, um, helping to, to manage the building that I live in, um, and, and sitting on that strata council, um, and, and how much, uh, knowledge I have because of the work that I've done in advocacy, 
you know, understanding how to number one, just run a meeting. Um, but, but number two, understanding how bylaws work and how to change them and, and how to make sure that, that those inner workings of an organization are, are strong. And then the other one is I, I recently went back to school and, and got some, some additional certifications with the Canadian Avalanche Association. And, and it, it had been over a decade since I had done any certifications. And so in that time, a lot had changed in, in the industry. And I was kind of was the old guy that, that, you know, learned the old way. And, and so there was a lot of catch up for me to do, to kind of figure out what, what was actually being taught now in a level one course, um, versus what I had learned in my level one course 10 years previously. And one of the, the things that I found was, was, um, uh, my biggest asset was, was in the avalanche industry, we are striving to have fair, uh, conversations and to listen to everybody in the room. And, and in the past, it's been a very uh, dominated conversation, very, uh, you know, the, 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 the voices were the same, you know, you had these really strong characters in the room, these ski guides that had been there forever. And it was hard as a new person to kind of put in your two cents and you were afraid to kind of vocalize that. And then accidents would happen and, and people would say like, yeah, I didn't really have a good feeling about that, but who am I to second guess this person? And, uh, and so what I found in, in the program was once I kind of saw how these meetings were supposed to operate and we were actually being marked on our morning meetings and our PM meetings, that was a big aspect of the program. It, it took me a few days until I realized like, oh, this is just a board meeting. <laughs> like this is, you guys just need Robert's rules. Maybe not quite as formal, but, but if, if we run this thing with a timekeeper and we stay on task and we have an agenda and we have a note taker and we, we come back to, to our notes, you know, on the PM meeting and say, yeah, so this morning we talked about this, this, and this, how did that pan out today? It, it kind of it made me realize that like, oh, I, I have this, I've been chairing meetings, you know, for, for the city for the last four years. Um, I've been sitting in on, on board meetings and AGMs, like a, a lot with a, a number of different organizations is like, this is great. And so that was kind of the strength that I brought to that table. So it was kind of interesting how much my experience in this industry affected other things that I do. And I think there's an opportunity for other organizations or other industries and, and communities to help us understand how to be better within the, the trails community. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I, I just, I, I want to quickly, uh, not, I want to emphasize something you said earlier, but maybe in a slightly different way, you may not think of yourself as a journalist, but I know for many of us who, who really found, uh, found a community through your podcast, you certainly produced them in a way that was quasi journalistic in nature, particularly some of the episodes where you brought in multiple guests from other episodes into one episode, you know, through the, the, the careful production work that you did. And, uh, and the fact that they're just, you know, the majority of the content is so evergreen. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking through, you know, all of the, uh, all the categories right now. And, uh, there was a lot there. So, you know, maybe for anybody just discovering this podcast for the first time, jump back in, find a category you want to listen to content for. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing how people reach out to you after this as well. Uh, Brent with, uh, you know, what contact or what people or what stories they might suggest that, Hey, there are some really great lessons in this, uh, you know, reach out to so-and-so, uh, because I, yeah, I, I, I do feel you on that. That's a, that's a, certainly a big part of production, isn't it? Is just finding the content. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate that. This has been a, a just a, a great catch up and a, and a great conversation. And, and maybe just to finish things off, um, just let people ha how know how they can get in touch with you, um, how to find your website and, uh, and, and, and just kind of, uh, uh take advantage of your services. Yeah. So, I mean, people can find me online as easiest at singletrackcoms.com. That's comms as in C-O-M-M-S, short for communications. Um, or they can find me on the socials at singletrack communications as well on Instagram, Facebook. Uh, those accounts are just kind of getting going right now. So, uh, uh, you know, hopefully they'll become a little bit more active over time, but 
I'm just, I'm really curious to hear from people if, you know, somebody providing this type of service is, is interesting. Is it a curious idea? You may not want it right now, but I would just, I would just, I would honestly love people's input on it. I mean, there are many grant writing agencies out there, for example, but none of them specific to the language that we need when it comes to how to fund trails. So I would, uh, yeah, I would just be really curious to see if people have any input on, uh, on me for this. I mean, this is all, I, I think of this as an experiment. Uh, I probably should think of it maybe in less uh, uncertain terms and in more certain terms, but truly it is. I, this is a very dynamic uh, project and I, and I hope it becomes kind of the things I envision. But um, yeah, I would love to get people's input. And if anybody needs a bit of assistance with things, uh, please reach out and I'd be happy to you know, uh, start a conversation and see where things go. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dave. Thank you, Brent. Appreciate the time. This episode of the podcast was recorded on the traditional territory of the Tsleil-Waututh, Musqueam, and Squamish nations. If you're curious to learn more about the traditional territory that you occupy and recreate on, then visit native-lands.ca. Like always, you can find the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at FrontlinesMTB. You can join the Facebook group at Advocates on the Frontlines of MTB, and you can send me an email or an audio file to info at FrontlinesMTB.com. A huge thank you to Jacob and Drew for their continued monthly support of this show. I cannot thank you enough. The two of you have allowed me to take a step back from the show, focus on some other things that I've needed to focus on, and never have to make the decision about just ripping the show off of the internet, um, which allows me to then when I'm ready and when I have the time to come back and produce some more episodes, uh, this show would not be here if it wasn't for you two. So thank you, Drew. Thank you, Jacob. Um, I, I, you've been a, a huge help to keeping this show on the air. I, 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 that is no embellishment. It is, uh, it is the truth. And, and so thank you very much. With that, I, I have to say that if you want to support the show as well, uh, you can do that through PayPal. Uh, just go to the show notes and there's a, a donation tab that goes to the Frontlines MTB podcast. Uh, if you're interested in getting in touch with Dave Turnier, you can find his contact information in the show notes, Singletrack Communications, and that's singletrackcoms.com. I strongly encourage you to subscribe to his website to have access to those weekly articles that he produces. Music, as always, is by Lee Rosevere. Production notes by Jennifer Pride. Artwork is created by Brendan Gallagher-Watson and BGW Creative. And finally, I'm Brent Hillier. This is Frontlines. Thanks for listening and happy trails.